Today we're wrapping up a series that we began just a handful of weeks ago entitled Storm Season. And up to this point, we have talked about how God is the shelter in the storm, how he's our peace in the storm, how we can hear him in the storm. And today I want to talk to us about how God wants to help us in self-inflicted storms. For you see, in life there are moments when we inflict storms in our own experience, through our choices, through the words that we say, through what we do day to day. In fact, recently there was a self-inflicted storm at my home. As some of you know, my wife and I, we are parents to two children. Aiden is nine, Alexis is seven, and my son, he decided to make some poor choices at school. And then when he got home, he continued to make some poor choices. And so what I as a parent is I had to inflict a self-inflicted storm in his life. I had to become the storm in Aiden's life. I had to ground him from everything that he enjoys. Xbox, tablet, TV. It was a scorched earth policy. I had to take away everything that he enjoyed in the hopes that he would change his behavior. And so he was grounded from life. He was grounded possibly for a little instant for life. Uh, but finally, he made some choices. He course corrected. He got back on track and he began to make some good choices. The same is true in life. Sometimes we make choices that inflict pain in our life. And what God seeks to do is he often allows self-inflicted storms and the pain that comes along with them to compel us to obedience. God does not want to just introduce pain into your life. He wants to compel you to get on his program. And so today I want to talk about self-inflicted storms. So I want to invite you to join me in Jonah chapter 1. It's found in the Old Testament. And it's the story of a guy by the name of Jonah. Go figure. And he happens to be a prophet. And if you happen to be an Old Testament prophet, you have one job. Your job is to listen and obey God. And so Jonah, he wasn't like Isaiah. He wasn't like Jeremiah. He was a little bit rebellious. Because God told him at the very beginning, I want you to go to this town, this city called Nineveh. And what I want you to do is I want you to tell them that I'm bringing destruction to their city if they're not willing to change their ways. And so I think when, when Jonah began to think about this, I think he began to remember the plagues of the Old Testament in Egypt and how God punished the Egyptians. And then I think he probably thought about Sodom and Gomorrah and how God brought down fire and brimstone and burned up everything. And I'll just say this, I don't have any proof, but this is the Jonathan Musset version. I think that Jonah was secretly hoping that God would consume the city of Nineveh so he wouldn't have to go. For you see, Nineveh was a pagan town. They worshipped other gods. Anything went there, anything that you could think of. They were so insistent on pursuing hedonic pleasure. Whatever pleasure that you could pursue, the people of Nineveh would chase after it. And so God told, told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And the trip to Nineveh was 500 miles. But 
guess what Jonah did? He went, he went the other direction. And he did not just go a little bit a ways. He went very far away. In fact, the trip to Nineveh was 500 miles, and he set off for Spain, for the city of Tarshish, which was 2,500 miles. I think he took this idea of go big or go home, and he took it to the extreme, and he disobeyed God. And I'll just tell you, I kind of have this love-hate relationship with Jonah. I kind of dislike him because he was disobedient and he didn't do what God told him to do. But I also, I kind of like Jonah because he gives me a little bit of hope. Because God took someone who is disobedient, and as we'll discover, and I'll just give you a hint at the very, at the very end, God takes him and uses him mightily. But sometimes some of us, we're a lot like Jonah. We are short on obedience and long on excuses. And God wants us to be the other way around. And so I want to invite you to join me in Jonah chapter 1, verse 4. This is going to be the text. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I want to invite you to open up the Westover app. If you have the app, open it up. We have notes. You can follow along. You can take notes with us. We'd love to invite you to join us there. This is what it says in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you think that everything's going to break apart? Have you ever been in a moment like that? Sometimes in life, not all the time, but sometimes in life, God is the one that brings the storm because he wants to compel us into obedience. Sometimes to get you to see the problem, God will introduce pain. He doesn't enjoy it. But sometimes he does it because it's the only thing that will cause us to wake from the slumber and change our ways. God permits pain to help us see the problem. For those of you who are Bible scholars, you have heard of C.S. Lewis. How many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis? A good number of you. C.S. Lewis, one of his famous quotes is what he said, pain is the megaphone of God. And often, what we fail to hear is a whisper from God ends up becoming a hurricane in our life. And if you happen to find yourself in a hurricane moment in life, I want you to know that there's good news. If God has brought it into your life, it's not to punish you, it's to get your attention. Proverbs 3.12 says this, For whom the Lord corrects, he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. God loves us. But sometimes he introduces a storm into our life so that we can correct our course. Now, the story doesn't end with just the storm. In fact, in fact, everybody on the boat was awake. And guess what Jonah was doing? He was asleep. He was at the bottom of the boat. He was asleep. And so the captain comes and wakes him up and says, Jonah, Jonah. And this is the one question that he asks. What have you done? The reason they asked that was because somewhere along the line, they asked Jonah, hey, what, what is it that you do? He says, I'm a prophet of God. And they say, well, where are you going? And, they, and he, I think he said, well, I'm supposed to go to Nineveh, but now I'm going to go to Tarshish. And so I think they realized that he was running from God's assignment for him. And so they woke him up and said, what are you doing? What do we need to do to solve this storm? And so Jonah says, well, the only thing is, is you got to toss me over the boat. You got to toss me out into the sea. 
And they said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. That's a terrible idea. So they tried to row and row and row and row, and they weren't able to get to shore. And so finally they said, they, they set up a prayer. They, they sent up a Hail Mary prayer, and they said, God, if you will just forgive us for what we're about to do, we're going to throw this guy overboard. Please don't hold it against us. And they pitched him over. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life, I feel like life has thrown me overboard. And I think some of us who are here today, we're in a circumstance where we feel like we've experienced a storm and life has thrown us overboard. And I want you to know there's hope because the story, it doesn't end there. There's actually a good ending to the story. I want to share with that with you in just a moment. But today I want to share with you two insights that we learn from the life of Jonah. Two things that you and I, we can gather and learn from the life of Jonah. Number one, God doesn't send storms to hurt you, but to help you. God introduces pain into our life to help us, not to hurt us. Verse four says this, but the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm. Even when we are long on excuses and short on obedience, I want you to know that God is short on pain and long on grace. He wants to extend grace to you. And often when he introduces pain into our life, it's just to get us back on course. Now, God, he could have allowed Jonah to drown because, frankly, Jonah disobeyed. But he didn't do that. He did something a little different. And verse 17 of Jonah 1 tells us, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Here's what I've learned in my own life. God often allows discomfort to divert us from disobedience. God often allows discomfort to divert us from disobedience. Sometimes God lets us stew in the stinky situation that we are in. And I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced a stinky dead fish... In fact, a couple of years ago, my son and I, we went fishing. Uh, Pastor Jim went with us as well. And we were out there fishing. We had a great time. We collected all of our fish. We went home. And then a couple days later, I walk up to the game room where my kids play. And there was an awful, putrid smell. And I couldn't figure out what it was coming from. So I look over and I ask my son, I said, Aiden, what's with the smell? And he covers his head and he begins to cry. And I say, Aiden, what happened? He said, he said, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> and if you're a parent, you know how that is. I don't want to tell you. He was so ashamed. And finally I said, Aiden, what's the problem? And he pointed under the TV stand. So I went under the TV stand, and inside a chip bag was a dead fish. <laughs> and can I tell you, the stink on that one silver dollar <laughs> size fish Stunk up the whole room. And I frankly think that God had a little bit of fun with Jonah by putting him in the, in the belly of a fish, in the belly of a whale, to let him smell stinky fish for three days. And what we discover is actually in chapter, two, in chapter 2, he ends up changing his course. And I think the stinky situation caused him to have a change of heart. Verse 1 says this, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, of, to the Lord his God. I'll tell you, when you're in a stinky situation, prayer always works. Prayer always works. If you're in a difficult storm, if you're in a self-inflicted storm, we just 
need to pray. Jonah made a first wrong move, and then he made a couple of more bad moves. But finally, he reached a point where he said, God, if you will help me. And if you look at chapter 2, over the course of eight verses, he begins to cry out to God. And right before verse 10, he says, God, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do what you told me me to do. I'm going to go ahead and fulfill the responsibility that you put before me. And what I found is that prayer, if we cry out to God with a repentant heart, prayer relieves our pain and it releases God's grace. Verse 10 of chapter 2 tells us that then, once God heard that he was on board with God's plan, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. He actually got an express ticket because he landed on the coast really close by to Nineveh. God was going to say, guess what? I'm removing all of the barriers to you getting to Nineveh. I'm actually going to lead the whale to take you and vomit you up on the shore. And so he gets there and he fulfills God's purpose. The second insight that we can learn from the life of Jonah is this, is that everybody runs. But some of us, our best self-knowledge comes from knowing how we run. Verse 3 of chapter 1 tells us this, that Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He ran away. In life, all of us, we have automatic responses when life shows up. As some of you know, I spent years as a counselor. I have a degree in psychology. And cognitive psychologists say that when stress happens in life, we have one of three responses. We either fight, we flight, or we freeze. For some of us, when life gets difficult, we fight. And it's like a Steven Spielberg movie where bodies are blown up and buildings have exploded and there are bombs. Maybe, it's a, maybe a better analogy is a Michael Bay movie. But what ends up happening is there's just chaos everywhere. And some of us, when life shows up, we end up creating a veritable mess in our family, in our workplace, in our relationships. Others of us, it's flight. We run away. Some of you who are here, hear me. Some of you who are here, when life gets difficult in your marriage, you run away. And you actually, you walk out the door and you drive away. For others of us, it's to freeze. It's to get overwhelmed by life. It's to be overwhelmed and worried, and we internalize all of this experience. That's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to fight, to run away, and to freeze. But there's some good news today, and that is that God has a better solution. And the better solution is choosing to follow him. We must decide on the shore before the storm comes that we're going to choose to follow him no matter what. Oftentimes we get stuck because we are unprepared and we must decide on the shore how we're going to behave in the storm. And I want to invite you, if you're not in a storm situation today, I want to invite you to decide in your heart that you're going to choose to follow him. And even if you happen to be in a storm season, I want to invite you to choose to follow him. He is the best solution. He is the one that will lead you to freedom and to peace. The path to fulfillment is fully following God. The path to fulfillment is fully following God. Nothing in this life will fulfill you more than Jesus Christ. Not a relationship. 
not pleasure, not success, not fame. It is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we must be willing to say, God, I choose to be fully fulfilled by you. So I want to ask, as you think today, what has he whispered to you? Maybe what has he said? What has he shouted to you? What's he telling you to let go of? Is it a relationship? Is it your past? Is it the pains and the hurts that people have inflicted upon you? Maybe God is compelling some of you to forgive your ex-spouse because they hurt you. For others of us, he's asking us to forgive our ex-business partner who stole and embezzled money. For others of us, he wants us to forget the abuser who mistreated us and stole our innocence. Whatever it is that God is asking you to do, in the words of Elsa, let it go. Let it go. I never thought I would introduce that, but there you go. Here's the good news. Fast forward to chapter 3 of Jonah, verses 3 through 5. This is what it says. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Verse 4 says, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed in all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. They said, we've heard the word of the Lord and we choose to obey and the outcome, we, we learn about it in verse 10. This is what it says. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring destruction on them as he had threatened. Some of us are in the midst of the storm and the rain and the sleet and the hail and the wind is coming down. And we are overwhelmed and we are overworked and we are in a place where we can't see what's right in front of us. But what I found in my own life is that we often don't see the outcome until we obey. We often don't see the outcome until we were willing to say yes to Jesus. The storm in Jonah's life did not end until he was willing to say, God, I get on your program. And some of us are saying, God, I want you to take away the storm. God, I want you to take away the storm. God, I want you to change my circumstance. God, I want a new job. God, I, I, I want someone in, in my life who's going to value me but we're unwilling to align ourselves with God's plan. God wants us to align ourselves with him because when we follow God, we set ourselves and others free. And as I was preparing this message, this is what I felt impressed on my heart. There's somebody here today or watching online and God has whispered to you and told you that you're going to spend your life missionally for him, he, either here in the U.S. or somewhere around the world. And can I just appeal to you to be fully obedient to him, to be willing to say yes to him? Because of Jonah's obedience, a whole city and multiple generations were able to hear that God lives and that God saves and that God has grace and that God has peace. And so if that is you, I want to invite you to fully run after God and to fully obey him and to fulfill the assignment that he's put before you. Be willing to say yes. And as I close, I want to offer 
four steps that you and I, we can take to fully follow God. Number one, we need to face him. We need to face him. Often when life shows up, we turn our face away because of shame, because of guilt, because of fear. Some of us along the way, we, we believe that God was mean and that he was harsh. And yes, he is a God of justice. But when we're willing to face him, he turns his face to us. And he shines on us. And he smiles on us. And he extends love and peace and grace to us. Don't worry about being perfect. Don't worry about cleaning up your mess. Don't worry about getting one more thing right before you turn and face him. He loves you. The second step to fully following God is to own who you are. Be willing to own who you are. And it's not what the culture says you are. It's not what Instagram says you are. It's not what the person in your past said that you are. Not the person who bullies you at school or work. It's not even the, per the loved one who said that they loved you, but in the very next sentence said to you, you're not worth it. You'll never be anything. Don't own that. Own who you truly are in Jesus Christ. The word of God tells us that we are sons and daughters of the king and that we are co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. And we must be willing to embrace that. It's not who we are, but whose we are. And then we must be willing to own how we run. Do you fight? Do you run away? Do you freeze? If yes, be willing to own it and be willing to say, God, change me. We don't have to crawl to God. We don't have to beg to God. We don't have to plead with him. All we have to do is choose to run to him. He'll open his arms and say, welcome home. Thanks for coming back. And he'll embrace us and he'll love us. But we must be willing to own how we run. And fourth and finally, we must be willing to surrender. We must be willing to surrender. Verse 11 of chapter 1, the people who are in the boat, this is what they say. What must we do to be saved from this storm? For us who are here and those of us who are watching online, it's surrender. Surrender is not about saying no to the things that we want. It's not so much that, but more about saying yes to God's will. It's not saying no to what we want, but more about saying yes to God's will. The solution to your storm is found in the surrender. We must be willing to surrender our life and our heart to him. God has a plan for you. He wants to take away the storm that you've created in your life, but we must be willing to surrender. And so at this time, I wanna invite you to stand and I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come forward. If you find yourself in a self-inflicted storm, I want you to know that Jesus is here to meet with you. And I wanna invite you, everyone, front to back, side to side, to bow your heads and close your eyes. I wanna give you a private audience with the Lord. Some of you who are here, I just sensed this in my heart as I was preparing. You're stuck. 
You're like those people in the boat and you're rowing and you're rowing and you're rowing and there's no relief and there's no peace. Some of you feel like life has pitched you overboard. Some of you are in the belly of the fish and God wants to declare peace over you. Some of you, you have unrelenting anger in your heart. Some of you, you have addictions that you can't shake. Some of you have thoughts of death and dying or self-injury or gender identity confusion. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, again, I want to offer you a moment with the Lord. If you find yourself in a self-inflicted storm on the count of three, I want to I want to invite you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes, yes, yes. I see hands going up all across the auditorium. Yes, 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 yes. God sees it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite you, those of you who have your hands up, to take a courageous step. I want to invite you to step out of where you're at. And I want you to come to the front. A member of our prayer team is going to pray with you. They're going to encourage you. They're going to ask and help you get connected to God to learn how to fully surrender to him, to fully follow him. Don't delay. Come now. Come now. Step out. A member of our prayer team is going to pray with you. Don't delay. The other thing that was on my heart is that some of you, you're not in a storm. But there's somebody in your life, somebody that you love who is in a self-inflicted storm. And you agonize in your own heart because you see the struggle that they're experiencing. God wants to encourage them to fully follow him. And what I want to invite you to do is if you have somebody in your family who's struggling with a self-inflicted storm, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Yes, 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 yes. Maybe it's an adult son who's struggling in his marriage. Maybe a daughter with her family. Maybe it's a teenage son or daughter that's struggling with identity. Whatever it is, whatever the struggle is in your loved one's life, I want you to come. A member of our prayer team is going to pray with you. They want you to discover who God is. Let's discover together the God who declares peace over our self-inflicted storm.